together with millions of Christians all over the world and trying to pray that God would stir up the church and make a difference in the church and make a difference in our, our world as well. And focus of a lot of the prayers are on our denomination. Our denomination needs prayer. Our denomination needs reform. And so as I was planning out the series of foundations for our church, the things that uh, we consider to be essential and that uh, describe who we are, I thought prayer uh, ought to be reserved for this Sunday. Prayer really is uh, something without which any success we have is simply going to be worldly success. It will not be success in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think most of us hugely underestimate the power of prayer. We hugely underestimate uh, the degree to which prayer is essential for the success of the church. Now, it's not just Presbyterians who do this. I think this is across the board. People tend to forget this. Now, we Presbyterians know that uh, God is sovereign. God needs nothing. He doesn't need our prayers, right? Uh, he stirs up our prayers, but he doesn't need our prayers. Uh, we know he is not dependent upon us, and we know we are totally dependent upon him. Without him, we can do nothing, Jesus said. Uh, we know that he's guaranteed victory, but what we sometimes forget, or at least I think sometimes our lives are inconsistent with, is the biblical truth that God has chosen, he has ordained, that victory will come through the efforts of spirit-filled people, through the prayers of spirit-filled people. And when we do not war, no battles will be won. And when we do not pray, no blessings will be received. And when we do not work, no dominion will be achieved. And that is not saying that God is dependent upon us, not at all. If he wanted to, he could convert the whole world in a snap of a finger. I, I believe that uh, very much. Uh, so the question this morning is not what is God able to do, but what has God chosen to do? Okay, And I believe that he has chosen to advance Christ's kingdom and that the advance of Christ's kingdom is dependent, he has made it dependent, to rise or fall upon the prayers and the faith of the church of jesus christ and you might inwardly recoil and say well that makes our christianity man-centered uh, and uh, that makes it arminian and i would say no it's actually the exact opposite because if we believe <coughs> that uh, uh, there is nothing we can do apart from the lord jesus christ then when we do accomplish something who gets the credit god does right um we we believe that that uh, uh the lord jesus christ when he has uh, working on an individual god has ordained the time and the place when that person is going to be converted but he's also ordained the means and if part of the means which the scripture says it is is that someone preach the gospel to him and someone pray for this individual and perhaps there's love expressed to this individual then who gets the glory when that person comes to christ it's god right because he stirs up these things he is the one that orchestrates it and yet it is still true that apart from Apart from the involvement of people, it's not going to happen because God has ordained to work through the actions of the church on, on many types of questions. Now, let's turn that question around. Isn't it man-centered to sit back and use God's sovereignty as an excuse to disobey him? I would say that's the height of man-centeredness. Uh, isn't it man-centered to abandon our responsibilities and let God pamper us? And I think all of us would say, yes, of course it's man-centered. We are the servants. God's not the servant. And we are here to uh, faithfully all of our lives obey him. And you might say, well, we all believe this. This has been a foundation of the church right from the beginning. Uh, you know, why are we uh, preaching this? But, you know, these foundation courses are, are lessons 
that I think we need to be reminded of on a, on a regular basis. In fact, this is something some of you have heard at Trinity Presbyterian. This is just a, a reworked sermon uh, from Trinity. But uh, as I was thinking through, what is a passage that I can look at? This was a passage that I thought we really need to think through that combines spiritual warfare, that combines the importance of prayer. And uh, so I brought it out of the uh, mothballs and... Um, I've reworked it this past week. There is no question in my mind God has ordained everything and he accomplishes everything from beginning to end. But God has done so in a way that he has, and he's chosen to do so in a way that makes angelic activities very, very significant. And it makes the activities or the inactivities of humans to be very, very significant. Uh, he has chosen to use creatures rather than making them irrelevant. It was God himself who said, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. You know, your people who don't have anything says, well, you haven't asked yet. You know, ask, and you'll receive. It's God himself who said, you have not, because you ask not. It was God himself who says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? They can't. God has ordained the means as well as the end. Uh, God has ordained that our actions and our prayers are absolutely essential to the advancement of the gospel. In fact, it was John Calvin himself who said, words fail to explain how necessary prayer is. You ought to read John Calvin on prayer. He, he saw prayer as being an absolutely foundational mark in the church. So he said, words fail to explain how necessary prayer is. And so this morning, I have given the bold title to your outlines that uh, all heaven waits. Uh, it is waiting for the prayers of the saints. God himself is waiting for the prayers of the saints. And you might respond and say, now, wait a shake. How could God be waiting? Isn't he the one who stirs up our prayers? Isn't he the one who makes us uncomfortable in our lives by uh, uh, bringing pain and different things that when we're prayerless that drive us to prayer? Isn't he the one that puts the spirit in our hearts? Well, absolutely, yes, he is. Uh, and yet, the truth of the matter is that until the church wakes up and until the church engages in prayer, it will have not because it asks not. God is ordained to work through the prayers of the people. Now, this passage gives us a glimpse of what happens in heaven when there is a corporate prayer meeting on earth. And already in the book of Revelation, he has showed the connection between prayer and the unleashing of the seals, the the opening of new uh, movements in history, and they accompany those movements, and they come after those movements. If you trace the prayers that go on in the book of Revelation, it's an incredibly encouraging thing. But this chapter, I think, gives an awesome description of what happens in heaven when the church on earth is praying. We're going to get to the prayer in a little bit, but I, wanna, I want you to see, first of all, what happens before the prayer meeting, what happens immediately before Okay, chapter 8, verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Many people have puzzled over that. Why in the world is there silence in there? Because the opening of a seal indicates that this is a new chapter in God's unfolding drama of history and God's judgments that is coming. And you would think that there would be a flurry of activity on the part of the angels the moment he opens that seal. But even though the seal is opened, nothing happens. There is silence. We'll see in a moment that the silence is the weight of heaven for the prayers of the saints. Now, one other question that comes up 
Why does he say it's for about half an hour? And I think Alfred Edersheim and um, uh, Milton Perry, I think there's some others uh, who have explained this, have the best explanation that I have seen. And they say it's because there is a patterning relationship between the heavenlies and the earthly temple. The one, the earthly, was patterned after the heavenly. And so you expect that there's going to be a connection between the two. Now let me explain a little bit of the background of uh, what happens on earth. Verse 3 speaks of the golden censer representing the prayers of Christ being offered up together with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar. Now that's what was happening on earth. Now the congregation would gather outside of the holy place and this was for a time of prayer and the, the, high, uh, the priest would go into the holy place and he would be carrying incense with him and he had all kinds of preparations that they would make and all of these people would be standing outside of that curtain. They were just waiting, waiting for the priest to give the signal. And let me tell you something about their prayer meetings. Uh, just do a little research on the way in which people prayed. Reading uh, silently, unheard of in the ancient world. In fact, the first historical reference that we have to anybody reading silently, and he is the first reference to speed reading as well, I think was Jerome. <laughs> uh, I'd have to check on that because the thought just came to my mind. But they would pray out loud and they would read out loud, or at least their lips would, uh, would move. And so uh, when the, um, uh, the, the lady in the Old Testament, the mother of Samuel, Hannah, when she was praying, overcome with grief, she was moving her lips, but no sounds were coming out. He thought she was drunk. What's going on here? You know, he can't hear any prayer, but uh, the lips are moving. But that was the way that they prayed. It was all out loud, Korean style. Some of you have prayed in our home. No, we sometimes pray Korean style. And that's where everybody prays at the same time for the, the requests that are coming up. And sometimes it's loud. It's a cacophony that happens. But that was the way it went on in the temple. But prior to that prayer, they were waiting for this priest, and there's absolute silence. And as soon as he put the incense on the altar, which represented, again, the prayers that go up before God, took coals from off the altar. When the cloud of incense went up, it went up over the temple, and that was the signal to start praying, and all of the people would at that moment begin to pray. Now let me just give you a, a brief description from uh, Edersheim. He says, Slowly the incensing priest and his assistants ascended the steps to the holy place, preceded by the two priests who had formerly dressed the altar in the candlestick and who now removed the vessels they had left behind, and worshiping withdrew. Next, one of the assistants reverently spread the coals on the golden altar, the other arranged the incense, and then the chief officiating priest was left alone with the holy place, excuse me, within the holy place to await the sing signal of the president before burning the incense. It is this most solemn period when throughout the vast temple buildings deep silence rested on the worshiping multitude, while within the sanctuary itself, the priest laid the incense on the golden altar, and the cloud of odors rose up before the Lord, which serves as the image of heavenly things. And they say that it took them about half an hour to do those preparations, both Edersheim and, and um, uh, Milton Terry. Now here's the point. Having silence on earth, that's understandable. People saw that all of the time. What's amazing is that this passage talks about the silence in heaven. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, that's an absolutely amazing statement when you understand what goes on in the book of Revelation every time there's a description of heaven. Just about every time there's a description of heaven. It is a buzz with activity. 
enormous activity, noise, the undulating power that proceeds from the throne of God. And I want to just look at a couple of examples. I won't spend too much time on this, but look at chapter 4 and verse 5. <clears throat> it says, From the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Okay, it's not silent. It would be rather noisy. Uh, skip down to verses 8, 8 through 11. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And you can see other examples in the scripture of uh, the sound of the beating of wings, the sound of mighty rushing waters, and you've got other sounds that are mentioned uh, in heaven. But during the preparation time, before the temple's prayer meeting, there is silence in heaven. Hushed, completely silent, they're waiting. Heaven is waiting on the corporate prayers of the church. They're not waiting just for one or two prayers to ascend. The scripture does talk about the importance of individual prayer. In fact, night and day, those prayers are going forth according to the, the book of Revelation of individuals. But they're waiting for the whole body of Christ to unite in prayer. It's given a, a special significance. Individual prayer is not. Uh, for example, Psalm 76 says that Israel's battles were won in the temple the house of prayer there he broke the arrows of the bow the shield and the sword of battle he is saying that here are all these israelites out on the battlefield but what made the definitive difference on whether they won or whether they lost was whether there was prayer faithful prayer spirit-filled prayer that was going on in in the temple and again don't get me wrong god does honor the prayers of individuals uh, he gives even greater prayer when the local church gathers or when two or three are gathered together no, there's greater prayer there, the corporate group. But when entire cities gather for prayer, uh, even statistically, you can see this borne out and the differences that happen. Uh, there have been numerous cities in the last few years that have uh, had major, where all of the churches gather for prayer, and you see a sharp decrease in the crime statistics. You see a sharp increase of the number of people that come to, to the Lord. And I believe it's a simple situation of heaven waiting. And we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, but verse 1, very significant to me. Graham Kendrick's song says, All heaven waits with bated breath for saints on earth to pray. And I believe that before Omaha's strongholds are going to be torn down, I think the church as a whole is going to have to be brought to reformation. The church as a whole is going to have to be brought to spirit-filled prayer. Individual strongholds can be torn down. Strongholds that affect our, 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 our corporate church can be torn down as we as a church pray. But city strongholds, I think it's going to take more than just one or two congregations praying. Uh, and I've uh, 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 often wondered, you know, how long the Lord's going to uh, take before he stirs up such prayer. But let's, let's go on. Kendrick's song not only says, All heaven waits with bated breath for saints on earth to pray, but it goes on to say, majestic angels ready stand with swords of fiery blade. If you long for those angelic trumpets to sound, 
and for the armies of heaven to begin to go forth in doing battle against the principalities and powers that are in the city, then you should long for corporate prayer. Verse 2 says, I saw the seven angels. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, again, these angels, they're eager to advance into warfare. Uh, That's what they have been called to do, but nothing happens. They're given trumpets to sound, to call their regiments into battle, but not a sound proceeds until after verse 6, after the corporate uh, prayer meeting. Verse 4 shows the eagerness of angels to answer prayer. They're right there as the prayers are being offered, and in some way they're involved in taking those prayers uh, to the Father. And so they're very eager in, 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 in standing ready to be ministering spirits to the elect. And so I think it it really is true. Majestic angels ready stand with swords of fiery blade. I've often wondered how frequently angels are frustrated that they cannot go into the fray because the church is not praying. I'm convinced there is a connection between our prayers and the individual angels that are assigned to us, the church's prayers and the angels that are assigned to the church, and I think corporately the, the legions of heaven going forth as the church as a whole rises up to prayer. I'm convinced that there is a connection, and you can see many examples of it in Daniel. Uh, you see Daniel, uh, for 21 days, he is in prayer and fasting, and it's exactly the number of days that Michael is battling with the uh, prince of Persia, and he finally breaks through. And so there was perseverance in prayer, enabling the perseverance of Michael the archangel in this uh, battling into Babylon. And so there's a very real sense in which majestic angels ready stand with swords of fiery blade. But you're not going to hear the trumpet until there is prayer. All heaven waits. All heaven waits. I don't think it's a discouraged way because I think that angels know God is going to, in his perfect timing, be raising up a church of prayer. He's going to be pouring out, as Zachariah speaks of, a spirit of prayer and supplication on the people. And I don't want you to be motivated by guilt this morning. I think guilt is a lousy motivator. What I want you to do is to see the theological truth of the connection between heaven and earth, what we're doing here and what happens in heaven, so that you become enthusiastic, so that nothing could keep you away from prayer. You say, yes, I want to enter into the dynamism of the Spirit working through us. In fact, that's one of the reasons he gives the Spirit to us, is to enable us to pray as we ought. James says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, I think the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous church avails even more than that of of an individual. And if you once see the incredible power and blessing that corporate uh, prayer appropriates, I think it'll transform our dry, uh, dull prayer meetings into meetings with faith and encouragement and vitality and enthusiasm. And uh, that's my desire, uh, not to have prayer meetings that just go through the ritual, but prayer meetings that reach the throne of God because we have a faith in God's promises. We understand there is a connection in our spiritual warring and what happens in the heavenlies. Now, the third point, it's also from the hymn of Kendrick and Rowlandson. It goes on to say, Astounding power awaits a word from God's resplendent throne. But God awaits our prayer of faith that cries, Your will be done. I think that's exactly the message of verse 4. It says, On the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God, 
from the angel's hand. Astounding power. It's not just angelic power in this chapter that is unleashed. It is God's power himself. Now, we know God's always at work. All things are upheld by the word of his power. But God has chosen for certain things to have his, his, the moving of his power to be uh, in response to the prayers of, of the saints. God could have acted before this time. No, he chose to wait for the prayer meeting. He wanted to reinforce uh, the importance of prayer in our minds. Astounding power awaits a word from God's resplendent throne, but God awaits our prayer of faith that cries, Your will be done. Uh, to me, that's really encouraging that we need to be diligent in prayer. We're going to be resisted by Satan because uh, he hates those who pray. And he will try to keep us from it. Now, some think there is really no use in praying because Christ is interceding for us, right? And the Father always hears his prayers, so I'm redundant, right? No point in praying if the best prayer of all always has his prayers answered and he's promised to pray for us. So that's an issue I need to address. And you might want to mark down, if it's not in your outlines already, Hebrews 2, verses 12 through 13. This is a passage that indicates that Jesus has chosen to pray with and through the church and he has chosen to sing with and through the church uh, he says in the midst of the congregation i will sing praise to you and uh, specifically there i think he's talking about the psalms and so when churches are not singing the psalms which is god's prayer book well jesus is not singing those either he has chosen to do it through the ch church now the encouraging thing about that is when we take those psalms and especially the war psalms of the psalter and we know Jesus is praying and accompanying our prayers with, uh, w with his prayers and that his prayers are always heard. Well, that gives tremendous encouragement to persevere in, in prayer. Uh, so the point is, Christ's prayers are not a substitute for our prayers. Christ's prayers are making our prayers acceptable. Uh, verse 4 again, the smoke of the incense, which is a, a reference to the prayers of Christ, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints. Uh, incense symbolizes any kind of prayer, but here it's Christ's prayer along with the pray, uh, prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So don't think that Christ's intercession makes our intercession irrelevant. His intercession is blended with yours. It makes yours acceptable. It makes yours powerful. And so you might even think of it as um, along the lines of the Midas touch. If, if you knew an investor that had the Midas touch, you know, type of a thing, every investment he invested in was guaranteed to turn to gold, man, you'd want to invest everywhere he invested, wouldn't you? And you'd get wealthy right along with him if you linked your investments with his. Well, that's the encouragement I think the Scripture is trying to give in terms of Christ's prayers. His prayers have the Midas touch. Everything he prays is great, and so we need to be linking our prayers with him. And uh, the next verse in, in Hebrews, that passage, it talks about his faith encouraging our faith. It's like an iron rod, you know, binding up, being bound to a broken stick, which would be us, and encouraging us in that. Now, let me ask you this. What more could God say to convince us that our prayers are very, very significant? Uh, to me, this just makes our prayers something that are tremendously, tremendously important. 
He's given us the Spirit to make prayer possible. He's given us the Son of God to make our prayers acceptable. He has given us promises to encourage our prayers. He's given us faith to pray in a certain manner. And he's given us a royal privilege to approach uh, his royal throne. So don't let anything keep you from prayer. Uh, pray even if your schedule is busy. God awaits your prayer of faith. In fact, when I came to Omaha, uh, this was one of the things I discovered that I would go to my office and prayer has got to be a part of a pastor's schedule. But boy, it was like pulling teeth to get myself to pray. Uh, I was like grabbing myself by the scruff of the neck. And I had an awful hard time praying. I would pray through, but it was like a struggle every step of the way. And I started writing some prayers and then reading prayers of others. And I've mentioned this, I think, to you before. I uh, began reading some of the prayers of Mark Bubeck, their warfare prayers, and instantly I felt the oppression lifting. It was like there was an impression over me keeping me from praying. When I prayed the warfare prayers, the oppression lifted, and then I was able to pray spontaneously and, and the things that the, the Spirit was laying on my heart. But I began to realize Satan was doing everything he could to keep me from prayer. Why? Because prayer has a power, because God has ordained his power to be unleashed in terms of our prayers. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So there's going to be backlash. There's going to be Satan trying to oppose you on that. It's not going to necessarily be easy, but it is important. One of Kendrick's verses says, And as the incense clouds ascend, God's holy fire rains down. And I think that's the message of verse 5. Those prayers result in the ending of the silence that's in heaven, an incredible power being unleashed on the earth. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. What he's saying here is that Okay, the, the coals that are there and the, uh, the, the censor Christ prayers linked together with our prayers, those prayers are thrown onto the earth and it's those prayers that are thrown onto the earth that cause the lightnings and the earthquakes and the judgments actually that come later on. And so it's an unbelievable display of power due to corporate prayer. So hopefully you can see I'm not, this is not hyperbole I'm engaging in, you know. This is the word of a God who cannot lie. Uh, th there's power in corporate prayer. Now, those of you who do not have Operation World by Patrick Johnson, I would really encourage you to get that as a, a guide for your prayers. I think most of you have it because uh, I think that we distributed it last year. If you don't, let me know. But anyway, in the introduction of that book, he says this. The seventh seal, the final one, is unusual. Why was there silence in heaven for half an hour? It was not just for dramatic effect or the silence before the storm. It was because God would not act until his people prayed. Once their prayers had risen to the throne, God poured out the fire from the altar upon the earth. The fire of the Spirit comes in answer to prayer. Acts 1, 4, 14, Acts 2, 1 through 8, but so does the fire of judgment. The implications are immense. Do you realize that prayer may have brought about the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan? This was judgment on a nation that had resisted Christianity and killed those who responded to the gospel message, and it was also redemptive, for never before have Afghans been so exposed and open to the gospel as today. Is it possible that mighty intercession for China stirred up communism and the cultural revolution to turn an unresponsive nation into one of the most astonishing areas of Christian expansion the world has ever seen? 
Can it be that the Sahelian famines and Latin American revolutions may be the means of gospel breakthroughs long prayed for? It is a solemn thing to intercede for the nations of the world. Let us mobilize prayer. We can tip the scales of history. Christians can be the controlling factor in the unfolding drama of today's world. Let us not allow ourselves to be chased around by the enemy, but let us go up at once and take the kingdoms of this world for Jesus. Numbers 13.30, Daniel 7.18. He delighted to give them to us. Daniel 7.22 and 27, Luke 12, verse 32. In practical terms, may these truths make our prayer lives as individuals and in prayer meetings outward-looking, Satan-shaking, captive-releasing, kingdom-taking, revival-giving, Christ-glorifying, power channels for God and I say amen may this be so not just in our church but may this be so in the churches throughout this city and that's what I want to end with this morning it's point number six in step with heaven's armies march to conquer and to reign verse six says so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound and verse seven the first angel sounded A lot of people have been very scared of the book of Revelation. They just think, you know, this is going to be bringing pain and trouble and discouragement into our lives. You know, to me, it really doesn't matter which view of eschatology you take if you understand that this is the message of Christ's victory working through his people. Um, in, this, in this passage, you're not going to find God fighting against his people. You're fi- finding him fighting against his enemies, against his enemies. And as the last trumpet sounds, it says there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, Chapter 12 describes the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that this uh, man-child that was born is caught up to God and to his throne. But as a result, Satan is furious because he knows that his time is short, and so he tries to persecute the church but as the church prays they find victory after victory even during those first two bloody centuries it says then i heard a loud voice saying in heaven now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our god and the power of his christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our god day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. And I think that is the key to victory. That is the key to prevailing prayer, not loving your lives, even to the death. I think that really is the key because it's loving our lives that keeps us from the inconvenience of persevering in prayer. It's loving our lives that that causes us to pursue after sin rather than after righteousness. It's when we give up our lives that we experience the resurrection life of the Lord Jesus Christ being lived through us. And those who are, are willing to lose their lives will find their life. But those who try to just seek their own selfish desires, their life is not going to count for eternity. It is not going to count for eternity. It may count for time, but not for eternity. And so there's a cost. There's a cost to this kind of prayer life. It costs us our pride. It costs us our time. It costs us our inconvenience. It may cost us our sleep. It may cost you like I experienced, you know, and in my prayer life at Trinity and, and here. It may cost you the attacks of Satan coming against you. 
And some people say, well, that scares me off, then I don't want to be a prayer warrior like this. Well, let me tell you something. If your life is of such significance that Satan wants to attack it, it's a glorious thing. I mean, who wants a life that doesn't count that Satan says, oh, I'm not even going to bother with this person because he's not doing anything to impinge upon my kingdom. It is worthwhile being attacked if you can know that your life counts for something in the advancement of God's kingdom down here below. And so I've included in your outline a form that can be filled out, committing yourself to prayer in various areas. Maybe the Spirit will lay something totally different on your heart. You can fill in the blank on that, but I would encourage you to fill in the blank there and to uh, hand it in to, my, to me so that I can uh, encourage you and maybe hold you accountable to what you're committing yourself to in, in prayer. I intend to be in this for the long haul, and I, I pray that you will be as well. And so this is a passage which says prayer is essential, prayer is powerful, but it's also a sober reminder that all heaven waits until such prayers are offered up. And I want us to be a people with the unction of the Holy Spirit and people who desire prayer. We become prayer warriors in our private closet. We become prayer warriors in our families, but prayer warriors in the church as well. Now, we have prayer meeting, and the men lead here, but it's not just the men who are praying. At least I hope it's not just the men who are praying. I hope all of us are giving our amen and our responses, our sorrow over the confessions and asking forgiveness. You know, even when we're praying confession on behalf of our nation, we're corporately guilty of our nation's sins. Not individually, but we are connected to this nation. And so our, our uh, responses of faith, I think, can make a, a big difference. But let's be involved in prayer. There's prayer meeting here in church, 7.30 in the morning on Sundays, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., and uh, then there's breakfast following. But if you want to start your own prayer meeting or you have some other idea in which we can get some corporate prayer going together where two or three are gathered, uh, let me know. I would appreciate it. But prayer has got to be the foundation of what we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this encouragement from your word. Father, there are times where we fall down, we get discouraged, and we give up. But I pray that we would keep on keeping on in this important ministry of prayer. And, Father, that you would pour out upon our congregation a spirit of prayer and supplication and that we could not help but cry out to you over the evils that are in our nation, that we could not help but weep as David wept when he saw the sins that were in the nation. Father, give us a holy discontentment, a holy discontentment over the state of affairs in this world. And I pray, O oh Father, that you would help us to lay hold of your throne. Stir us up, O oh God. Stir us up to prayer. And may we... Uh, as a congregation, even be a model to other congregations of prayer. But, Father, uh, however you choose to do it, I pray that our whole city would be a praying city and that this city would bow its knees at some point to King Jesus, that you would cast Satan out of this city and that you would allow Christ to reign freely and fully uh, in every department of this city's working. Father, we love you, and we believe that there is nothing that is too hard for you. And uh, so we give ourselves to you as foot soldiers in your, in, in your kingdom, and we just ask for your blessing to rest upon us. Help us not to pray in the power and the strength of our own flesh. Father, we know that our fleshly prayers, prayers avail nothing, but I pray that by the empowering of your Holy Spirit, the intercession of Jesus Christ, that which we pray would be acceptable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.